Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners in Nebraska and other places to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Potash in California, and I'm joined with my co-host, Liz Felstern in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you doing today? Hello, hello. Doing very well, Alan. How are you? I'm good. It's beautiful where I am, and if uh, the birds are chirping, uh, you'll have to just enjoy the chirping of the birds while we're talking. We'll so, take last, it. so last week we presented to our listeners the series that the Times of Israel is running uh, on the struggles of Jerusalem. You and I pledged to both watch those three videos uh, last week, as well as well as we posted them on the on the site. Um, so let's have a conversation about the three different struggles that um, are taking place in Jerusalem. I just have to say firsthand that you're currently living in Jerusalem. I lived for many, many years in Jerusalem, and we are sensitive to the neighborhoods or we're connected to some of the neighborhoods and the issues that are being exposed to the um, series. Liz, what were your first thoughts when you watched this? the first one, which was the one on secular versus the Haredi? Yeah, so I'll even take maybe one step back. I think when I said last week, when we first, you know, heard about this series and shared the link and suggested that people watch it, I said, wow, you know, within 10 minutes, you can learn all about the dynamic between ultra-Orthodox and secular population in Jerusalem. That must be an amazing video. And I guess in in retrospect, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And so I would just say that while I, I do think the series is very well done, um, there is only so much you can accomplish in 10 minutes. And now having watched them, I would say that they bring up a lot of the issues in this story, but they certainly don't cover everything um, or every side of the of the issue. So they um, will either leave people with a taste for wanting more or maybe leave people a little bit confused, which is also okay if it sends people on the road of wanting to get more information. Um, the first video in particular about sort of the struggle between Haredi, ultra-Orthodox segments of the population in Jerusalem and the rest of the population, meaning both secular or religious, but not ultra-Orthodox religious, um, I think probably of the three was my least favorite. Um, and um, I guess from a personal perspective, because the uh, there were, I guess, voices in that video who should have felt like they were representing me, right? A not ultra-Orthodox Jerusalemite. But I did find that the liberal speakers in the film were awfully one-sided, not, not as nuanced as I'd like to hear or as I'd like to think I am. Um, it, it is a very complicated city. Nobody, nobody would deny that. I think everybody knows that. But this issue of neighborhoods and is it okay for different types of people to move into a neighborhood that's been historically not religious or less religious and what does that mean? Um, and who who owns a neighborhood is is a very tough issue. And I think the the crux of the issue and something which 
you know, you know, we can't deny because the numbers are what they are, and it is touched upon in the video, is the fact of the, the demographic shifts, right? The, the, the makeup of Jerusalem is not what it was 20, 30, 50 years ago. And, and what does that mean? I think the, the quote in the film in particular that there used to be in Jerusalem ultra-Orthodox neighborhoods and non-ultra-Orthodox neighborhoods is, is no longer true. There are neighborhoods that are completely ultra-Orthodox and there are neighborhoods that are mixed. And that makes for a different dynamic than, you know, than there was in the city in the past. I think the demographic issue is the key. Uh, in the 80s, when I lived in Jerusalem, I lived in multiple different neighborhoods from my first place in East Talpio to Rehavia to the Greek uh, colony, that there was always a mixture of religious and secular people walking the streets, shopping at the stores. You'd always see a mixture of people. Uh, in the years that I've been traveling to Israel since then, you notice much more of a, uh, I wouldn't call it a close, but a uh, uh, segregated maybe uh, community that it's, as you said, there are Orthodox versus um, secular, just there are, there are pockets that are clearly identified as such. I will say that you just mentioned it, that the common theme throughout all three videos was how complicated Jerusalem is as a city. And yeah, and and actually the sort of jumping ahead, but the, the third piece in this series that talks about uh, Palestinians and, and, um, and East Jerusalem Arabs doesn't go into it very deeply, but by having our current mayor, Moshe Leon, in the video and bringing up the idea of taxes and who pays taxes, which is actually something that we've talked about in another context before, we're talking about municipal taxes and, and rights to build and connecting people to, to the grid. Um, it sort of just hints at this other type of complexity, right? Not just who's here, but but how do things get decided and who has a voice and who's exercising their voice. And as it says in that video, which is absolutely true, that you know, Arabs in East Jerusalem, for the most part, uh, are not citizens of Israel, they're residents, which means that they're not entitled to vote in our national elections. They do not vote for the Knesset. They are entitled to vote for their, for their local elections, for the Jerusalem municipality, and yet hardly any do. And this dynamic of, you know, being represented, being not represented, choosing not to be represented, of course, plays out across the board, right? It's one thing for the mayor to feature in this film and say that he wants to invest in East Jerusalem, that he went there and he saw that major investment is needed. That's certainly true. But from a political standpoint, his motivation for doing that is not going to be nearly as strong as it would be if he had voters there. Um, and so just how much gets done, you know, and how long it takes is, is a reflection of that. Can we touch on a little bit, or can you touch on a little bit about why there is not a great appeal to become citizens? I mean, we saw that in the documentary. We've known that for a while that people who are from East Jerusalem are residents. Uh, and many of them have chosen not to become citizens. We learned in the film that one, the bureaucracy of it is very difficult, but also the ideology of becoming an Israeli citizen is complicated for many people 
that try to do that. Yeah, and I think they did um, cover it, you know, to a certain extent in the film. And the the main idea is this concept of normalization, right? That if an uh, Israeli Arab living in East Jerusalem decides to become a citizen of Israel, or even as a non-citizen of Israel, but as a resident decides to vote in the Jerusalem municipal elections, this is a recognition, a recognition of the status quo of the current power structure and a seeding of a very closely held and many, many years held, you know, wish to have their own political and legal authority in Jerusalem. Um, and, and that tension, and I actually, you know, when you hear it laid out, at least the way it did in the film, for me, it, as, as a Jewish person, I think we can understand that dynamic of having to, you know, give up some pieces of your identity in order to have better employment opportunities or better schools for your kids. Um, and, and that is the choice that some Arabs in East Jerusalem are making if they want to get a good job, if they want to better themselves and the opportunities for their children, they they have to learn Hebrew, which years ago, maybe they wouldn't have, but now this open source for them. And so for economic reasons, they're making that choice. And the same applies to getting citizenship and working outside of their community and all of these things, which when you're in the majority don't seem like such a big deal. And I'm sure in lots of places where Jews have lived, right, the majority culture said, well, what's what's the big deal, right? So, okay, so they can't work on Saturdays anymore. Like, what's the big deal for them? They have to work on Saturdays. I mean, you know, okay, but now they have a job. But it's but it is, you know, giving up pieces of of a unique minority identity. So it's not an easy answer. Um uh, and in this case, it's not just religious differences. It's also fraught, right, with this really uh, deeply held political aspiration of having a Palestinian state with its capital in Jerusalem. So um, so that's the tension. And and generations change, right? They showed in the in this film that years ago, there was hardly anybody that was even interested in applying for citizenship. And now the numbers have grown astronomically. And yeah. But it's still hard. The bureaucratic process is difficult for them to accomplish it and Mm -hmm. challenge while they're waiting. So the the other, the second one was on Christians in Jerusalem. I found that one to be the most interesting uh, because I really have not experienced other than taking people to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and knowing all the different denominations that have control over it, I really didn't understand historically the the challenges that they face. Um, what were your feelings on that? It is a really interesting one. And I guess to a certain extent, it makes sense that maybe it's the one that we feel that we know the least about because it, the Christian community in Jerusalem is such a small percentage of the population. Uh, but they have these many, many institutions. And in the in the film, they said, you know, that the that the churches run the danger of perhaps at some point in the future not having anyone to pray in them. And I think that that ship has, to a certain extent, already sailed. I mean, you know, 
sad as it might be, most of the churches are quite underutilized, right? For the for the size of the buildings and for, I mean, there just isn't a population to use them. They're upkept, they're visited. Pre-COVID, certainly there were a lot more, you know, uh, Christian pilgrims and, and tourists coming and, and using the spaces, but you know, on other parts of the year. And certainly now when when we don't have very many tourists, the buildings aren't used all that much. Um, it's a it's a very interesting culture. And you and you see the difference, even the linguistic difference, right? How many of the Christians featured in the film were Hebrew speakers, right? I I, I don't know necessarily if everyone in an English speaking audience can pick up on the differences and hear when someone's speaking Arabic and when someone's speaking Hebrew. Uh, but but all, almost all of the Christians, I think all of them, except for the one that was speaking English, actually, were speaking Hebrew and they're speaking beautiful Hebrew. Um, they are in some ways, you know, very much a part of the culture here. They also have the, I don't know if advantage is a fair word to use, but they have the added factor of being able to pass, right? in a way that some uh, Muslims would not be able to. Um, so they're even more in this space of having to navigate both worlds and figure out where they want to identify and uh, when it's easier to, to just let people think they're Jewish um, and, and when they want to fully you know, express the fact that they are Christian, they're a different group. Um, right. I, it's I really think, interesting. No, I, I don't mean to cut you off. I think that the part that I was really fascinated by was the Armenian um, speaker mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, if you walk through the old city of Jerusalem, you see the Armenian quarter as a as a prominent but also a hidden quarter. And his comment was, you know, our high walls keep us uh, protected to maintain our own identity and to continue the traditions that we have. And then he opened up the the door to see the soccer field that's inside the mm-hmm. Armenian quarter, which I didn't know about. But I think that again, it's the beauty of maintaining the identity and the culture within these complicated environments, dealing with the need for, I think, for the Times of Israel to educate those in Israel and outside of Israel, just how complicated the relationships are within the the groups that live in Jerusalem, and and how they're changing. Yeah. And the last thing that you said right now, I think, is really another important point to make, which is who is the intended audience for these films? Right. The Times of Israel decided after they were already made to to translate them into English and make them accessible to a wider audience. But they were made for an Israeli audience because an Israeli audience, first of all, Jerusalem's only one city. Right. And all of the rest of Israel may know hardly anything about Jerusalem. And even people who live in Jerusalem, certainly, you know, and myself included, are not experts in any of these groups. Um, and and so, so, so that concept, right, that we as Israelis need to educate ourselves about who are the different minority groups uh, and not so minority groups that live amongst us. And, you know, what are the general trends and, and how do we live together and where are we missing opportunities? Um, I think I think is an important concept. 
And it's good to know it's a little different spin than what we had talked about in terms of like sitcoms and television for social change. This is a more documentary angle doing, but I think it's that same, you know, kind of, kind of work that to see, you know, who, who else is out there and how do different people live their lives in, in places that we thought we knew. Right. It's linking people together with the different experiences and it's important you know, based on the themes that we've been working on with with um, social impact and issues through film and TV, this is a prime example of the benefit, um, not so much controversial, but uh, a benefit of educating people on the different groups that one live in, in um, Jerusalem. You've shared other uh, shows that really touch on the uniqueness of those relationships. I found this one to be one because it was, they were short. They were 10, 12 minutes long allowing mm-hmm. us to have a glimpse, a glimpse, a taste of what these communities um, are up against and how they deal with each other. But it seemed like a, a for and against or a pro and a con of the different relationships. So it was, you know, the secular and the, the Orthodox and it was the Christian and the rest of the community and there's the Muslim and the rest of the community. I found it to be very enlightening. Um, and I hope that the Times of Israel continues to do more of these because it helps us tell a story that most people don't have a chance to see or experience. Yeah, and that, you know, that feeling of sort of having different populations pitted against one another, um, you know, maybe I'm an optimist, but I, I don't feel like it feels like that most of the time. Um, you know, there, there, of course, there are, there are elements of that and times when topics are, are, are more tense and, and things come up. But just like every place else in the world, right, most of the time, most people are just living their lives and, and getting through their day. And who you are standing next to in the grocery store is the person next to you in the grocery store. And it doesn't matter exactly which group they belong to or what their beliefs are, right? When you're next to each other and someone says, oh, can you hand me this thing? You know, you, you do it and you're together and... Um, right. We, we, we saw, we saw, right. We saw that a little bit more when they were interviewing people in stores or in shops uh, or in the marketplace. You just saw it. They were, you know, everybody's coming together and they're dealing with their day-to-day needs. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was interesting, right? Maybe they're in those shopkeepers are more in a place to to have that kind of nuanced view because they they interact with everyone, right? They're running their shop and they see customers of every shape and stripe, you know, come their way. Um, as opposed to some of the speakers, I would say in the first video, who, who kind of live in their own little little bubbles, for better or for worse. Right. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. I think that it's been a great conversation and I'm thrilled that uh, it's a topic that kind of aligns itself with what we've been talking about over the past several podcasts. I hope that we can continue to find examples of this to tell the story of what Israel is, is like today and, and challenged. I think the other thing that we've been talking about in terms of the current events, we, we touched on the Olympics. We don't need to talk about the Olympics. There's not much uh, happening there, although Israel did do uh, much better, at least in the presentation of the sports they participated in. But the issue of Ukraine, uh, I read today that um, there have been several uh, flights of people leaving Ukraine coming to Israel. 
and that's something we need to pay attention to. And then also on a positive note, uh, so Israel is going to lift the travel ban on on tourists coming in starting March. I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of those two topics. Uh, well, certainly keeping our eyes, you know, on the situation in Ukraine and waiting to see how things pan out, right? None of us can uh, predict the future. And the travel ban, you know, things are looking very hopeful here in terms of COVID. Numbers are slowly but surely going in the right direction. And um, especially as the weather starts to warm up, I think the past two years already, the the summer months have seen, you know, a lull in in COVID. And uh, we'll hope that that proves the same in 2022 and that many, many tourists can hurry up and come here after they have been here for two years. They can all hurry up, get on the plane, come here before the weather gets cold again. And maybe that's how we all have to live our lives now. We just have to in between the waves, you know, do as much as we can. Well, I hope I hope that's true. And I hope that I get a chance to hop over in the wave and uh, come to Israel. I know that I'm going to be working on a, a trip for uh, Israel's 75th anniversary next year. I believe there's uh, some opportunities for that. But I, I do hope that tourism opens up again and, and Israel becomes a really hot, uh, I was going to say a hotbed of tourism, but just a, a place where people want to gather again. Uh, I miss it. I know many people do miss it. And I know that Israelis miss the opportunity to connect with tourists. So we, we wish everybody the opportunity to travel and to see Israel. Anything else on your mind that you want to talk about? Any things to think about for next week's podcast? I am. Well, just as we found this, uh, or you found really, I'll give you all the credit, this very interesting trilogy of the, the secular struggle from the times of Israel. If our listeners come across, um, you know, Israeli television shows or do or documentaries that they want to call our attention to and that they think we should be watching. We're always uh, happy to hear. That's a great way to, to end. Um, so Liz, thank you again for your time today. Looking forward to seeing you next week. And thank you to our listeners who've been listening to uh, Israel Rebound, a podcast uh, featuring topics that we all appreciate. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week.